When Mike and Sarah first bought their home, they were in their early 30s and didn't have a lot of extra cash lying around. As they settled into their new home, they quickly realized, though, that their plastic chairs from Kmart and their folding table would not do for a dining room table. They loved to entertain their friends, and they had to step their game up and get some real furniture. They were adults now. It was time to spend a little money. Well, in the search for a good dining room table at a bargain price, they stumbled upon a little thing called eBay, that black hole from which no one can ever return. (laughs) Now, this was back in 1989 when eBay was still pretty new, so Sarah and Mike weren't too sure how the whole thing worked. After waiting for their dial-up modem, ah, memories, (laughs) to connect them to the World Wide Web, the first thing they did when the eBay homepage popped up was enter into the search box these words, dining room table. Immediately, they were overwhelmed by all the choices that appeared before them. This was going to be great. Well, after a few weeks of losing out to some other bidders on some really great tables and chairs, Sarah finally struck gold late one night when she came across a new listing entitled Round Walnut Table and Chairs. The set was a little fancier by the picture than they were looking for, but the price was amazing. It was just too good to pass up. The opening bid was only 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Following a brief late-night bidding war, Sarah won the table. She was feeling quite proud. She remembers paying about 20 bucks for it. Her husband recalls it was about 40 Either way, a few days later, Sarah went out to the mailbox where she discovered a package waiting for her, a box about half the size of a toaster. When she opened the box and looked inside, there they were a beautiful walnut table, and some chairs all standing about two and a half inches high. (laughs) Despite our best efforts, we are all blind. We all miss things. We all see what we want, what we need to see. And in the process, we often miss things that are right in front of our eyes. Today's passage from John is a story about two kinds of blindness. The first kind of blindness, the physical kind, is fixed rather quickly in the story. It only takes Jesus about seven verses to give the man sight who was born blind. The second kind of blindness, however, a spiritual blindness, turns out to be a bit more complicated to fix. For 34 verses, we go on and on. And when it ends, we're not sure if anyone can see. Most of the baptisms and weddings that Father Gregory Boyle does take place on Saturday afternoons. That's because Saturday mornings are set aside for Father Boyle to do Mass at probation camps and local prisons. Once he finishes those Masses, he hurries back to his local parish, has time for a quick lunch, and then begins to slog through, I mean work through, excuse me, all the baptisms and weddings that fill his calendar until dinner time. One morning, in that narrow window between the masses and the services that were coming, Father Boyle had a few seconds to spare, and he snuck in his office, turned his computer on, and began to check his email. And it was then that Carmen knocked on his door. Father Boyle checked the clock on the wall, 
and waved her in, trying unsuccessfully to hide his frustration that this was the moment that she finally decided to come and talk with him. Carmen was well known to Father Boyle and to others at the parish. She was an addict that walked the streets. He'd seen her around, heard her screaming and yelling, begging for a place to stay. Plopping herself down in a chair across from him, Carmen jumped right into her story. I need help, she said. I've been like to 50 rehabs. I'm known all over. I am known all over. I am nationwide. At that last line, she smiles, and her eyes begin to wander around the office. Years of drug use didn't help her concentration. I went to Catholic school all my life, she goes on. I even graduated from high school. In fact, it was uh, right after graduation that I started using heroin. And I've been uh, trying to stop ever since. And at that moment, she finally made eye contact with Father Boyle for the first time. And her eyes, filled with tears, met his eyes. And she said what she'd been thinking all along. I am a disgrace. And in that moment, Father Boyle recounts that her shame met his shame. For when Carmen had walked through the door, he had mistaken her for an interruption. Today's story begins with, John, with Jesus noticing a blind guy sitting on the side of the road, a beggar who had been kicked out of the community. When the disciples notice Jesus noticing the beggar, they ask a fascinating question that reveals their true priorities and intentions. Rabbi, they ask, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. You may know this, but in first century Palestine, it was believed that blessings were a sign of one's righteousness, while curses like blindness and poverty or mental illness were understood to be a consequence of your or someone else's sin. The Mediterranean culture at the time was dominated by an honor-shame system, largely based on external things, Honor and shame were personal commodities that you could lose or gain. In this system, you have to work. You had to work for your honor. And once you got it, you had to show it off while at the same time protecting it. Also, in this culture, you had to deny your shame, hide it so no one could see it, or transfer your guilt, your shame, onto someone else. This is what happened to the blind guy. He's become a vessel for everyone else's guilt sin, and shame. He's been cast aside as an outcast who got what he deserves, and seeing him there makes me feel better. It's an epidemic, really, a toxic epidemic of shame, and it's what Jesus came to eradicate from earth. Religion, and by religion I mean capital R, religion, at its best is exactly what is needed to address the problem of toxic shame. Without a healthy religion, we have no internal sense of dignity or positive self-worth. But at its worst, and you know this is true, at its worst, religion makes the problem worse. By reinforcing this idea that somebody, somebody is always to blame. I tried this at 8.30. They loved it, so I'm going to try it with you. It's an experiment, so you can blame them. (laughs) Take a moment. 
I want you to think back to your moment of greatest shame. The moment you were most embarrassed or felt the most unworthy. Picture in your mind that time you felt unlovable by anyone. I'll give you a second. Take your time. Eyes on me when you get it. No, I'm good. You got it? Okay, good. Now turn to your neighbor and share that in graphic detail. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. You're a Presbyterian. I'm not a fool. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that my request made nearly all of you chuckle with that nervous kind of laughter? Isn't it interesting that all of you quickly in five seconds went there and got it and saw the image in your mind, but most of you were reluctant to share that story with someone else in church? Let's cut to the chase. We all have something, some deep, dark shame, some failure, some sin that we can't bear to admit is there. So instead of admitting it, we work really hard to convince ourselves and others, and especially God, that it's not there. And in the process, we become blinded by our shame. Shame is all over today's story. The blind man feels shame because, well, he's blind. The disciples feel shame because they struggle. They're struggling to gain approval from the one they are following. The Pharisees, the scribes, they feel shame because they are threatened by this Jesus fellow and his success. Even the blind man's parents experience the feeling of shame and their concern about what others will think of them because of their son's condition. The feeling of shame is all over today's story. And if I'm half right, It's all over our lives as well. Shame is the lie that says our failures are our faults. Shame is that feeling that we just aren't really good enough. Shame is that voice that lets us know that if others knew what we knew, they'd kick us to the curb like they kicked that blind man out of the synagogue. In 1987, the Dolores Mission Church in L.A. declared itself a sanctuary for undocumented workers after the passage of the Immigration Reform Control Act of 1986. Not surprisingly, the media descended on this tiny little parish. Local news trucks set up camp in the street. Protesters picketed the place. Well, one day, a local priest, on his way to a meeting inside the parish hall, noticed something spray-painted on the front steps, right outside on the front steps of the church, in big block red letters were the words, Wetback Church. He was mortified. When he arrived for the meeting and sat down with his parishioners, he offered to have a friend of his come that day and clean up the mess. It was then that Petra, a member of the church, a quiet lady who normally didn't say much, stood up and spoke up. Father, you will not clean that up, she said. You will not clean that up. If there are people out there who are disparaged or hated or left out because they are wet back, then we shall be proud to call ourselves a wet back church. Petra could see. This man is blind not because he sinned or someone else sinned. The man is blind because his eyes don't work. 
That woman's an alcoholic not because she has some defect in her character. She's an alcoholic because her body doesn't process alcohol the right way. That boy struggles with depression not because he's a bad kid. He struggles with depression because his mind doesn't work like yours does. And that girl who struggles with sex addiction, she's not a tramp. She struggles because she's hurting deep down inside. Who sinned that that man was born blind is a silly question asked by people who can't see the truth. Think about it. When alcoholics decide to get better, they don't seek out a community of healthy people. They seek out a group of other alcoholics who are willing to name their struggle. And when they seek a sponsor, someone to shepherd them, to guide them through their process, they don't look for someone who's never had a drink. They find someone who's carrying the same baggage, the same story, the same shame that they too are carrying. They find strength. They find community in their shared sense of need. As long as the first thing we see in ourselves and in other people is sin, we will remain blind. The disciples are so busy trying to figure out where to cast blame, they don't even think of helping a guy in need. They were going to pass him right by. The Pharisees are so busy trying to figure out if a law had been broken that they can't even see a miracle right in front of their eyes. Both are blinded by the desire to claim honor and distribute shame. The great irony of this passage, of course, is that their blindness is the result of their own sense of unworthiness. Their obsession with the law and acceptance comes from their own sense of their unworthiness and shame. The blind man is the one who is healed in the story, but this story is not about the blind man. The story is about religious people like you and me who remain blinded by our own sense of personal shame. The story is for people who struggle for, who struggle for acceptance, keeps them from experiencing all God has to offer. It's for people still playing the game of honor and shame. forgot to mention that Sarah and Mike ended up keeping that cute little table. They placed it right in the middle of their dining room. Instead of being embarrassed by their little blunder, they embraced their mistake. Now, when they invited friends over for dinner, they got mocked incessantly, as good friends will do. But a strange thing also happened. After they mocked them for their blindness, their friends would tell stories of their own mistakes, their own blunders, their own stupidity. In fact, when friends came back the next time for dinner, they started bringing their own small miniature pieces to complete the set. (laughs) And after a while, the whole room was filled with tidy furniture. It kind of felt like home. All of us are blind. Not just the people whose lives seem to be a mess. All of us are blind. All of us miss things. All of us make mistakes. All of us feel shame. You are not alone. The good news is that for, for all people is that Jesus sees right through all the baggage that we think defines who we are. He sees right through our shame to the who we can be with him. He sees right past all our accumulated honor and our felt shame and offers each of us a place at the table. This man was not born blind 
because he or his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's good work, God's good grace, God's love could be revealed in him. Amen.